Dadichi, Shibi, and many other great personalities were willing to sacrifice even their lives for the benefit of the people in general. 
This is the evidence in history. So why not give up this insignificant land? What is the serious consideration against it? Purport. Bali Maharaja was prepared to give everything to Lord Vishnu, and Sukaracharya, being a professional priest, might have been anxiously waiting, doubting, whether there had been any such instance in history in which one had given everything in charity. Bali Maharaj, however, cited the tangible examples of Maharaj Shivi and Maharaj Dadichi, who had given up their lives for the benefit of the general public. Certainly one has attachment for everything material, especially one's land, but land and other possessions are forcibly taken away at the time of death, as stated in Bhagavad Gita. Mitu sarva haras chaham. So what does that mean? Mitu means what? Death. Sarva means? All. All. Hari means? Taking away. Taking away. Cha? Oh. Aham? Me. I. So I take away everything at death. The Lord personally appeared to Bali Maharaja to take away everything he had, and thus he was so fortunate that he could see the Lord face to face. Non-devotees, however, cannot see the Lord face to face. To such persons, the Lord appears as death and takes away all their possessions by force. Under the circumstances, why should we not part with our possessions and deliver them to Lord Vishnu for his satisfaction? Sri Chanaka Pandit says in this regard, San nimite varam tyago vinashe niyate sati. Chanakya Soka 36. Since our money and possessions do not last, but will somehow or other be taken away, as long as they are in our possession, it's better to use them for charity to a noble cause. Thus, Bali Maharaj defied the order of his so-called spiritual master. Shreya Kurvanti Bhutanam Sadhavo Dusyajashtibi Dadyam Shibi Prabhuttaya Kovikalpo Dharashi Dadichi Shibi and many other great personalities were willing to sacrifice even their lives for the benefit of the people in general. This is the evidence of history. So why not give up this insignificant land? What is the serious consideration against it? So it was another one of his arguments. Bon Marge has made a number of arguments. Right? So he says that I'm, Mar- I'm Prahlad Maharaj's grandson. I have to behave according to my family. The worst thing is to be a liar. There's nothing fearful. Poverty and death are not fearful. Only cheating a Brahmin is fearful. You're going to lose everything at death anyway. Why not use it for a right cause? And hey, there's other people who did this. I'm not the first one. There's other examples. There's Shibi and Dadichi who didn't just give away their possessions, they gave away their life. You know, one thing if you lose your possessions, here Prabhupada says we're especially attached to our land. Of course, in modern society, most of us don't even own land. But, you know, we're especially attached to our, our possessions by which we feel we get our livelihood. But what to speak of giving away your very body? I mean, if you give away all your possessions, you might be able to get them again. But if you give away your body, then you're really stuck. And these people gave away their body. So we have Shibi. You may know the story of Shibi. He was a king. And one pigeon came to take shelter of him. Save me, save me, save me. A hawk is trying to eat me. I'm one of your citizens. You need to give me protection. And Maharshi said, yes, yes, you've come to me for protection. I will protect you. That's the mood of the Ksatriya. And then the hawk followed the pigeon and came to Shibi and said, wait a minute, I'm also your citizen. You have to protect me too. Now you've taken my food. What will I eat? So the king said, well, you can eat me instead. He said, I'll, I'll give you an equal amount of my own body to the weight of the pigeon. So they put the pigeon on the scale and should be actually cut off pieces of his body to put on the scale, but no matter how much he cut, the pigeon was still heavier. And finally, the pigeon and the hawk revealed themselves as demigods, I think, Agni and Indra, and they restored Shibi's body. But he was giving up his own body. Eventually, I think he put himself on the scale. He just took the rest of his body instead of keep cutting. <laughs> he just put his body on the scale. All right, you can eat me. I'll be your food. To give everything. And then we have the Dichi. The Dichi was asked by the demigods at the, on the request or the order of Lord Vishnu 
to mystically give up his body so that the demigods could use his bones to make a weapon to kill Vrishwasura. And it was interesting that when they approached Adichie, at first he argued with them, and he said, well, wait a minute, you know, who wants to give up their body? How can you ask me for my body? And then he said, all right, you're my superiors, I'll give you my body. So that's the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, we understand this even in, in modern society, a soldier who goes on the battlefield and gives up his body for his country is a great hero. Or there was, uh, when I used to teach Gurukul, we had books of inspiring stories for the children, and one of them, true story, was when these three children were going to school in a horse and buggy in a northern part of America in the wintertime. And while they were at school, there was a snowstorm, a really bad snowstorm, and the teacher said, all right, you'd all better go home because you can't see the road now in the snow. So the older sister, who was like 15, was driving the buggy with her little brother and sister in the buggy, and somehow in the snowstorm, she couldn't see properly, and the buggy went off the path. Actually, it turned out it was just maybe 200 meters from the house, but there was so much snow that they couldn't see anything. So when they went to the side of the road, the buggy overturned, and the horse ran away, and they were just stuck there uh, with, with no idea. They couldn't see in the snow where to go. And so she thought, well, let me keep them warm until some help comes. So she had them lie on the ground, and she covered them with her body, and eventually she died like that. Found in the morning with, you know, she was dead, and the children, her brother and sister, sorry, were alive under her. So that's, we consider that a great sacrifice. You know, if you give up your body to save somebody else. Or there was, um, many years ago also in America, there was a plane that crashed in Washington, D.C. in the Potomac River. And they were, uh, there was a helicopter that was throwing, uh, like a preserver for people to hold on to and be pulled up in the helicopter. So they were throwing it down, and this one man kept grabbing it and giving it to the other passengers that he was going to be last, and by the time the water was, was freezing, it was in the wintertime, by the time that it was his turn to be rescued, he had died from hypothermia. So people who sacrifice their body like that are considered great heroes. Even materialistic people understand that if somebody gives their body, their life, for a higher cause, that they're a great hero. So what to speak if one gives everything to the Lord? And what do you speak of that? And everything we have, we were talking about the other day. However, we're going to lose everything. This is also, Prabhupada's making the same point in this purport, really, from the previous verse, It's all going to be lost in the universal time. Our lives exist only for eight billionths of a second of Lord Brahma. We have a very, very short lifetime. Prabhupada calls it a spot life. You know, we're, our, our lives are so, so, so short. Uh, so short. They really don't last for a very long time at all. Just like sometimes people who have out-of-body experiences, like who leave their body, and sometimes they get see a review of their whole life, and they're able to re-experience their whole life in just a few seconds. But we experience that also how in a dream, time can be compressed, we can experience, you know, weeks of time in just a few minutes. And really our whole life isn't lasting very long. I mean, from our perspective, it seems like that. But just like there's a little insect that may live only for the nighttime, and to the insect it seems like a whole life. So in the same way, our life seems so long, but it really isn't. It's really just a flash. And it's absurd if you have something just for a few moments to really try to enjoy it. You better you use it for a good purpose. So it's quite interesting as a, as a traveler. I experience this constantly. So I'm, I'm constantly going to places where I'm staying only temporarily. And I'm just staying there for a few days. Uh, sometimes I stay in a place even less than a day. And, you know, if you look at this place and say, well, how can I enjoy this place? Then you might say, like the room I'm staying in now, some of the windows are, are broken. They don't open and close properly. So if I was thinking, this is my room, and, and you know, I'm staying here, so I would probably fix the windows. I'd put the pictures that I like up on the wall and so many things. But because I'm only staying there a few days, I don't get in the mentality of enjoying the room. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure if, if you've traveled, you've had the same experience. You go someplace, you're just going to be there for a few days. So you don't think, well, let me enjoy this room. You just think, let me use this room. Let me use this room for my service, okay? What, how can I make sure that I get my service done in this room? And that's all. You just don't think about anything else. 
So that's the way we should see everything in our life. It's one of the reasons, I understand, it's one of the reasons why traveling is part of the Vanaprastha order that detached you from this sort of idea of this is my land, this is my house, this is my stuff for me to enjoy. But ultimately we have to think that way if we're intelligent about our own body. You know, we, we don't tend to think like that. So we might think, okay, I'm in this room just for a little while. It's funny, when I first started traveling, I would travel because I, I like artwork a lot. So I used to travel with my favorite paintings of Krishna that were laminated with the idea that I would put them up on the wall. But it was so much trouble to put them up on the wall, even with Bhutan, and take them down again. They pretty much ended up just staying in my bag, and then I thought, why even bother traveling with them? And so in the same way, we, we should come to that point even with our body. Of course, that happens naturally as you get old. So yet naturally as you get old and you start looking in the mirror, you say, what is the point of trying to do something with this body? Uh, what is the point? It's only going to stay for a few more moments. Anyway, why not use it for some higher cause? Why not sacrifice it? And what to speak of the body, even more dear to us than the body is the mind. Um, and that, of course, we keep our mind much longer than we keep our body. Our subtle body travels with us from one body to another in this world. But vudba, vudba, puliyate. At the time of devastation, we give up even the subtle body. We enter into the body of Mahavishnu. And if we say, well, that's a very long time, uh, still, that's only one breath of Mahavishnu that we're keeping this, this particular subtle body and what to speak of the, you know, what are we really attached to? We're really ultimately attached to our false ego. I'm the doer, I'm the enjoyer. So even if we come to Krishna consciousness and we surrender our possessions, even if we surrender our body and use our body just for Krishna's pleasure, even if we surrender our mind and always think of Krishna, we tend to hold on to our false ego. And we see this right, even among devotees in the Hare Krishna movement who will have arguments ad infinitum just to defend their false ego. And I was speaking to a devotee the other day who said, you know, my wife never cleans the house properly, but if I say anything to her, she just becomes angry. So this is, you know, my false ego. I can never admit I've made a mistake. I can never say I've done something wrong. I can never just be humble. Right? That we want to keep. So I'll use my body and my speech to chant 16 rounds. I'll use my mind to think about Krishna and the philosophy. But I'm going to hold on to my idea of being independent. That I'm not going to give up. I mean, for the materialistic, for the gross materialistic people, surrendering your possessions seems to be something absolutely outrageous. You know, Sukracharya couldn't even fathom how Bali Maharaj could consider surrendering his possessions, which Bali had worked very hard to get, yes? Had Bali worked hard? Very hard. What had he done to get his possessions? Tapasya, yes, but he had, done a, he had had a great battle with the, with the demigods, and then he had done great sacrifices to keep the, the planet of Indra. I mean, he'd, done, he'd gone through a lot of trouble. We talked about the last few days about investment, so he'd invested a lot of energy into getting these possessions, and therefore Sukracharya, who was also being maintained by Bali, that was his livelihood. <laughs> Sukracharya wasn't giving advice in a dispassionate, disinterested way to Bali Maharaj. He wasn't giving advice to Bali for Bali's benefit. He was giving advice to Bali for his own benefit. This is why the Brahmin Satriyas Vaishas need to be independent. And the main way of being independent is to have a mentality that whatever comes by the grace of the Lord from my duties, I will accept. Whatever doesn't come, I will accept. So for a brahmana to be maintained by a ksatriya, which is the situation here, and Prabhupada calls him a professional priest, where Sukracharya is being maintained by Bali Maharaj, is very dangerous. Because as soon as you're maintained by somebody, then you tend to give advice to secure your own position rather than advice for their good. So Sukracharya was thinking, if Bali gives away all of his land, then where will I be? How will I live? What will my maintenance be? So the materialistic people are very shocked 
if we give away all of our possessions. Of course, giving away all of your possessions doesn't necessarily mean that you take them out of your hand and put them into someone else's hand and that you are possessionless. If that's what it meant, then all of us would walk around like Nagababas because we wouldn't have anything. You understand? You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any clothes, we wouldn't have any glasses, we wouldn't have any shoes. If any of you have read Radhanath Swami's book, Journey Home, how many of you have read that book? So he ended up practically giving everything away, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Right? He had that, that horrible incident with that girl where he left his sleeping bag in the room and he didn't have a sleeping bag anymore. And then someone stole his bag of books. He didn't have that anymore. And then there were those uh, some, some uh, renunciates who were sitting around a fire in the woods and they said, you can't have your shoes here. It's a sacred fire. And he threw his shoes away. He threw his harmonica into the Ganga. I mean, pretty soon all he had was two pieces of cotton cloth that he was wearing and no shoes. He had no money. He had two pieces of cotton cloth, like a little dhoti, a little judder, and his passport. You know, and that was, that was it. Even in the winter in Vrindavan, wow. You know, he's lying just on the sands of the Yamuna in the winter in Vrindavan, which is a little piece of cotton cloth. So... That may happen that we literally give away our possessions, but it also, following the principle of yukta vairagya, it also means that we're using all of our possessions in service. We're not using our possessions for our sense gratification. We're not saying, okay, I'm going to use this for me to find some happiness separately from Krishna. We're saying, I'm going to use all of my possessions to serve Krishna and serve the Vaishnavas. So the materialists also don't even understand that. You know, well, what's there left for you? The materialists either think one should use everything for yourself, or you can give something to God, you know, give a little portion, 10% or something, you know, uh, but keep the rest for yourself. And then beyond your possessions, who would imagine that you can use your body for God, that you give God your body? All right, let's give God your body, you know, let's engage in, in good works and prayers, and but certainly don't give God your mind. Keep your, be an independent thinker and, and keep your mind for your own satisfaction. So even the devotees give that. But ultimately what we want to surrender is our false ego. That's ultimately what we want to surrender. I mean, on one hand, surrendering your possessions is reasonably easy. Even materialistic people sometimes surrender all their possessions for a higher cause. Surrendering one's body is also relatively easy. Saying, all right, I'm going to offer obeisances, I'm going to you know, work in the kitchen, I'm going to chant the Hare Krishna mantra. Surrendering your mind is definitely more difficult. But surrendering one's false ego is the real test. And what's interesting is that it's only by this surrender that we become happy. Bali is the grandson of Prahlad, and Prahlad Maharaj says, we are all naturally happy, but when we try to become happy, that's when distress begins. So as soon as trying to become happy means accepting a false ego. means starting to think, okay, I'm independently going to become happy. I'm going to become happy on my own, in my own way. I'm going to take care of myself going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, where I want to do it, and I'm going to be the controller, and I know what's best for me, which of course is completely absurd. Who of us can say that our life experience has proved that we always know what's best for us? All of my decisions have been right, and they've all led to my happiness. I mean, who can say that? It it's always amuses me when people criticize authorities for, their, for the decisions of the authorities. And I'll say to them, if you were the authorities, would you make all perfect decisions? Well, if the authorities would only listen to me, everything would go well. And ultimately, we think that about Krishna. If Krishna would only listen to me. <laughs> I, I, let me be, you know, maybe if I don't want to be God, at least I can be God's advisor. And I'll tell him how to run the universe, especially in my life. 
But we ourselves make so many mistakes. We're so fallible. And, and really, this thing that we're most reluctant to give up, this sense of being the doer, this sense of having freedom separately from Krishna, is the source of all of our problems. It's very much like a, an alcoholic who doesn't want to give up their alcohol, or a drug addict who doesn't want to give up their heroin. It's very much like that. The gambling addict who doesn't want to give up their gambling. It's the source of all their problems. The alcoholic is thinking, the alcohol, it solves my problems whenever I'm, I'm upset. I, I recently read a blog written by uh, one devotee who had become an alcoholic. And she was saying how, well, she got into the music scene as, as a way of preaching and unfortunately got involved with degraded musicians and became an alcoholic. And she was writing how she had seen alcohol as her friend, that alcohol was her shelter. I had somebody ask the other day, what does it mean? Krishna is my shelter. And then she saw that it was, a, it, was fat, it was a wonderful blog. It was really nice, very inspiring. She said that she saw that alcohol, instead of being her shelter, was her enemy. So this is how, if we really want to go back to home, back to Godhead, instead of just taking a good birth on this planet or taking a birth in the heavenly planets or whatever, you know, becoming some South Indian Brahmana in our next life or something like that. I mean, if we really want to attain the perfection of life, then what we have to surrender to Krishna is our false ego. I mean, it's good to surrender your possessions, it's good to surrender your body, your mind, your words, but ultimately we need to give up the false ego. And the more we give up our false ego, the happier we become. The false ego is the source of all of our distress. The false ego is a liar. It's a cheater. You are great. You are wonderful, separate from Krishna. We are great. We are wonderful. Connected with Krishna, we are wonderful. We are full of all godly qualities. We have most of the qualities of God in a small degree. We are wonderful, but separate from Krishna, we're nothing. We're like a spark out of the fire that's just sputtering in the grass. And the false ego is saying, see what a nice spark you are sputtering in the grass, how wonderful you are? See how you're the center of the universe? It's all lies. So how do we give up the false ego? I think we all know how to surrender our possessions. Yes, we all know how to use our possessions in Krishna's service. Does everybody know how to do that? We all know how to use our body in Krishna's service. That's what we all know. Yeah. I mean, when people are starting Krishna consciousness, they don't know how to do those things. Those are their big questions. How do I use my possessions and my body in Krishna's service? Those are the big, 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 big questions. I think everybody here, we know how to do that. Do we even know how to use our mind in Krishna's service? Do we know how to do that? Maybe we don't do it all the time, but do we know how? How do we use our mind in Krishna's service? Okay, we talked about that yesterday. Do you remember? That was the first area. Why did we talk about it? See how good of a teacher I was. <laughs> this is a test for me, not for you. So what did we talk about yesterday? How to use our mind in Krishna's service. Yes. Think, uh, to think about Krishna, to think about his first times to chant. Exactly. Okay, so we think about how Krishna is present in the material energy, how he's present in my ability, he's present in the sunshine, he's present in my life breath. To think about Krishna's form. Can you do that? Can you think right now about Krishna's form? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Okay. Think about Krishna's qualities. Krishna's pastimes. Krishna's devotees. And to think about how to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. Prabhupada says that the way we get free of our plans to be happy in this world is we think about plans to make Krishna happy. We also use your mind, okay, what offering am I going to cook for Krishna? How am I going to prepare it? How am I going to distribute more books? What tune am I going to sing for the kirtan? Okay. We use our mind like that. Yes? Is it maybe in the beginning that you are forcing yourself to imagine something, but later it comes this attitude to really want to please uh, Krishna? Is it, is it in the beginning that you're forcing yourself to do something, and later you have the attitude to please Krishna? Yes. That is vaiti sadhana bhakti, means that you are... Uh, practicing through primarily determination and willpower, having been convinced intellectually and somewhat experientially through the scriptures and the sadhus. 
That is Vaidhisadana Bhakti. Vaidhisadana Bhakti is, I have been, I have been convinced intellectually by the sadhus and the shastras, and to some extent experientially. I've experienced some things in Krishna, some amazing things in Krishna consciousness that have convinced me. And therefore, I am going to make a deliberate effort with my will to think about Krishna. That is what Vaidhisadana Bhakti essentially is. I'm going to make a deliberate effort to engage in, in activities of devotion with my body, mind, and words. And wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, then I will pull it back and fix it on itself. That is Vaidhisadana Bhakti. Then one gets to a point where by doing Vaidhisadana Bhakti, that about 50% of one's anarthas are removed. What's the first line of that? Now, thank you. Nasta Praishu Badreshu Nichim Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavatu Tumasloki Bhakti Bhavatinastaki. So that's one 50% Prabhupada says. Also, Madhuri Kadambani, you can see it's about 40 50% of, of the passion and ignorance, the inarches are finished. And then one becomes fixed. So at that point, uh, one is not working so much on willpower, one is working much more on affection. Now, even then, even at the point of Nista, even at Ruchi, where Prabhupada says 16 rounds isn't enough, you want to chant 16,000 rounds, even then there's some effort to be made to pull the mind back, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, that the mind may still wander. But the effort is, is, is a very slight effort, and it's very quickly effective. So until, you know, until we have removed at least 50% of our inarches, the effort is, Prabhupada says, a hard struggle with determination. So Prabhupada characterizes it. It's the words he uses. So until, in, because you have all these inarches in the way, it's like trying to push a car out of the mud. You know, there's all this mud. You follow? So you, you, there's, there's so much resistance you're, or it's kind of like you know a car where the, the wheels are crooked and it's swerving to one side. So until at least half of the inartas are gone, it, it, it's, one really has to go through a hard struggle with determination. There's still taste cable and undekanda. This process is blissful from the beginning, but still, there, there is, it is a hard struggle with determination. One has to be very, very determined and keep pulling the mind back and keep pulling it back. And it's hard and the mind doesn't want to come. It's something like an untrained animal. The Bhagavatam compares the mind to a wild animal. So it's something like an untrained animal or a very, very small child. So a very, very small child, you know, they start crawling to something. You've seen children do that, right? They start crawling to something and you take them back and you distract them. You've seen children do this, right? And then they crawl back to the thing, like there's a fire yagya going on and the baby wants to crawl to the fire and then the parents pull them back and distract them with something and the child's distracted for a while and then again it goes back to the fire. So, you know, there's, until Nishta, the mind is basically doing that all the time. You know, the mind is just going to the, instead of the yagya pit, the mind's going to the fire of, of lust, the mind's going to the fire of Durga Devi. And you have to constantly, oh, there it goes again. Sometimes we don't even notice until the mind gets all the way in the fire and is getting burnt up. Oh no, my mind's going back to my Devi again. And we pick it up and we put it back. Here's Krishna, you know, be happy here with Krishna. The mind's happy with Krishna for a while and then, oops, you know, you just felt some, how to get back to the fire. So that, even at Nista and in Ruchi, that still happens. That the mind will, will go to material topics without you even knowing how it happened that you'll be absorbed in Krishna, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my mind's in material topics. But the, dis- the difference at Nista and Ruchi is that you can pull the mind back very, very quickly. You can pull the mind back in, in a moment and without much effort, because the mind is starting to be trained at that point. Right? But at a Shakti, the opposite happens, that the mind goes naturally to Krishna. A Shakti is still in sadhana bhakti, so Ruchi, a Shakti, and generally also Nista, generally, depending on the person and and the mercy of the Lord uh, not, you know, it's not a personal decision it's something that has to be instigated by Krishna not by the soul but usually at Ashakti Ruchi and Nishta one is engaged in Raghunuga Sadhana so it's still Sadhana one is still doing a practice there is still some effort 
But at that point, the effort is, is a much more natural flow. Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says in the Sakti, the mind naturally goes to Krishna, even if there's some material topic. So just the opposite. So people are talking about, you know, who won the World Cup, or they're talking about politics, or they're talking about what devotee committed some grievous offense, or whatever stupid thing people are talking about. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear that for a moment, but then your mind will just go back to You don't even know how it went back to Krishna. You're like, oh, how did I get back thinking of Krishna? Just like before that, like, how did I end up thinking about Maya? Here I was meditating on Krishna's Leela. You know, I was, I was meditating on, on Krishna seeing the, on Mother Yasoda seeing the universal form and her hair, hair standing on end. And somehow or other, when I was thinking about that, I started thinking about the earth. And as I was thinking about the earth, I started thinking about the flowers outside. And as I was thinking, you know how that goes, right? And all of a sudden, you're at a different, you're like, oh my God, I was thinking about Mother Yasoda, and now I'm into God. <laughs> think about the World Cup. So it's it's that, it, it works like that. It works like that. And if you think, well, I'm not going to think about Krishna until I can think about him spontaneously, that doesn't work. If you take the attitude, I'm not going to make an effort to think about Krishna until I can do it spontaneously. You'll never do it spontaneously. It's like if you say, I'm not going to practice playing the harmonium until I can just play it spontaneously. That's not going to work. You have to practice playing it with deliberation and with mistakes and with difficulty. And then you get to a point where your practice becomes more spontaneous. And then you get to a point that you're no longer practicing, you're just playing. Is that clear? Yes? Maybe I was thinking, is it better to put an effort to try to please Krishna than to try to imagine him, try to visualize him? Why are they two different things? Trying to visualize Krishna is pleasing Krishna. I don't understand. Trying to do something for him. Trying to do something for him without thinking about him. Thinking about him, but more. Well, if you're thinking about him, you're thinking about him. More how to please him than how to please myself. How to I Krishna is so beautiful. I want to see him a bit more. Why just thinking about Krishna means you want to please yourself? Okay, none of these things are, are intrinsically pleasing Krishna or pleasing yourself. You can think about Krishna wanting to please yourself, like Kamsa thought about Krishna how to protect himself, and you can think about Krishna to how to please him. Thinking about Krishna is not intrinsically either about pleasing Krishna or about pleasing yourself. And doing something for Krishna is not about intrinsically pleasing Krishna or pleasing yourself. You can do something for Krishna with many, 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 many motives. I could do something for Krishna thinking, oh, all the devotees are seeing how nicely I'm chanting. They'll all think I'm a great devotee and they'll praise me. I can do it for that. I can be doing something for Krishna and think Krishna will be happy with me and he'll give me liberation and I won't have to suffer anymore. Or Krishna will be happy and he'll give me 10 million euros and then I'll be able to enjoy the world. Or I can think I'm doing this for Krishna so Krishna will be happy. So the act of doing something for Krishna, whether you're doing that something for Krishna with your body, your mind, or your words has to be combined with the deliberate intention to please Krishna. So, anukulena krishna anushilanam. Shilanam is doing something for Krishna with the body, mind, and the words. And if you're only doing for Krishna with the body, that's not bhakti. That's Krishna karmani. Bhakti begins when you're trying to do something for Krishna, not only with the body and words, but also with the mind. So, shilanam means body, words, and mind action. And then anukulyena means with the intention of pleasing Krishna. Therefore, Prabhupada used the English words devotional service. So to say, is it better to serve or is it better to have devotion? It's better to serve with devotion, whatever you're doing. And yes, Krishna wants you to think about him. So if you have a wife, you want her to think about you, yes? If your wife said, you know, well, I'm cooking for you and cleaning for you, but I never think about you, it would be kind of odd. It wouldn't be very pleasing, would it? That would be very pleasing. The man says, you know, I'm working all day and I'm earning the living for you, but I never think about you. That's not... Who would be pleased with that? So, and what is the main thing Krishna is asking for? Manmana bhagamad bhakto, madhuji manmaskaru, mamivashashyukta, matmana maparayana. The main thing, the main rule, always remember Krishna, never forget him, so the main engagement needs to be with the mind. Maya Shakta Manaprata. 
Is that all right? Okay, very good. So we know how to engage our mind in Krishna's service, I think. Yes, we've talked about that. But what do we do with the false ego? How do we surrender the false ego? So the false ego is not really meant to be used in Krishna's service. The false ego is meant to be uh, destroyed. That's the use of the false ego. I mean, you know, Vidura offered Krishna banana peels out of ecstasy, but generally we don't offer Krishna the banana peels. We take the peel off and we offer Krishna the banana. So we need to take this false ego off and offer Krishna our real ego. Our real ego is Jivara Swapai Nichera Krishna Jamsa. I am your servant. That's the real ego. The false ego is, you know, Ishwaraham, Aham, Bogi, Sinaham. I'm perfect. Yes, I used to have so many problems, but I'm getting better and better, and now I'm really improving myself, and how dare you tell me I have a problem. Now, all my problems were in the past, and they were all insignificant. My good qualities are shining, like glory. Now, some devotees were talking to me yesterday and saying, so many people criticize us. I said, so what? So many people criticize Krishna. Krishna gets lots of criticism. So many people criticize Prabhupada, even so many of Prabhupada's God brothers criticize. So people call us a fool, so people criticize us, so, you know, so we see that we're imperfect, so what? Who cares? That we want to surrender by throwing in the rubbish bin. And if anybody helps us to throw it in the rubbish bin, then they're our friend. So if someone comes and says, you're a fool and an idiot and you never do anything right, we say, thank you very much. Yes, you're right. And when we do that, then we are liberated. That's what liberation means. Liberation means that we give up the false ego. And then even in this body, we're free. That's what we want, isn't it? Don't we want to be free? Prabhupada says the need of the soul is for freedom. So why do we hold on and refuse to surrender the very thing that's imprisoning us? It's like we're holding on to our handcuffs and the key to our jail cell. You know, just imagine you're in a jail cell and you're just suffering so much in that hellish place and somebody comes and gives you a key and you say, well, why should I use that? So that's ultimately what we should surrender. Why not? It's just, it's just causing us suffering. So all these things that we're being asked to surrender, they're either extremely temporary, our possession, our body, our mind. They're not really ours anyway. They never were ours. They never will be ours. They're just Krishna's energy. We have them for a very brief time. Why try to enjoy them? Why not just give them to Krishna to whom they belong and become happy? And then why not give up our false ego? And then once we do that, once we give up our false ego, then we can give to Krishna our real self, which is hiding under the false ego. Then we can give Krishna our real self. And how ironic that when we give up thinking that we're wonderful and important and that we never make a mistake and so forth, we find our real self, which is actually wonderful and important. Isn't that interesting? Once you give up the false ego, you see, oh, my real self is a soul, and I am wonderful, and I am important, and I am powerful, and I am infallible. How interesting. So therefore, Jesus said, those who seek to, to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will keep it. So as we said the other day, in connection with the fruit seller, one is, is not a loser by giving to the Lord. One is a gainer by millions and millions of times. When we give up our so-called independence in the world, we get full independence as a liberated soul. Liberation means freedom. When we give up our false conceptions of how wonderful I am separate from Krishna, then I realize how wonderful I am connected with Krishna. So... Why not surrender everything? It will all be taken by force anyway, Prabhupada says. Your possessions will be taken by force. Why not give them voluntarily? We talked about this the other day. Why not give with a warm hand instead of a cold hand? My body will be taken by force. Why not give it voluntarily, out of love? Even my subtle body will be taken by force at the end of the creation. Why not give it voluntarily? 
and my false ego is going to be smashed constantly by material nature. Material nature is constantly going to be showing me how I'm not the owner and controller in the center of the universe, separate from Krishna. That that's not possible. So why not give it up? Any, why not give it up voluntarily? Why try to hold? Why try to hold on to something that is is going to be taken away anyway? And as soon as I let go of all the temporary stuff, then I find that I have something eternal. I'm not left with nothing. It's not that I give all these things to Krishna and then I just have nothing. When Bali Maharaj gave everything to Vamandev, did he have nothing? No, he got everything. He got a planet more opulent than Indra's planet with Vamandev as his doorkeeper. And the promise of becoming the legitimate Indra in the future. He got everything. And he went back to home, back to God. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions, chastisements. Yes, I noticed that sometimes, most probably in the beginner stage, we can use also our false ego in Krishna service. And I don't know if you're proper sometimes in Krishna, but he said to his American disciple, if you're so like, uh, capable nation, you're doing something, so why don't you do something for Krishna? Like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I also remember like, in, in Sankirtan, I sometimes have some many years policy, like, at least I will distribute so much books to, to cover my, my expense, like my expense like for the food, and I don't want to somebody maintain me, and I do like parasites. So. Uh-huh. And out of that kind of false ego, you go out. So you can have another similar conception like that. And uh, in the beginning, they can, at least we are not lazy, at least we are doing for Christians. That may be. Just like Prabhupada says in the Nectar Devotion, that things like uh, knowledge and detachment may be useful in the beginning. So there may be something that's, that's useful in the beginning. It's a fact, you know, when somebody first comes to Krishna consciousness, if you're too much on them that really you're just a rascal and a fool and a fallen person, they'll just leave. They won't be able to, to handle that. So just like we go on this, you know, just distribute books and we say to people, oh, you're so intelligent, like Prabhupada said. We go to people, oh, you're so intelligent, you're so capable, you're so wonderful, now use it for Krishna. Uh, so yes, that can certainly be done. But at a certain point, I think we need to grow up and realize that this is not a very good idea. You know, if you're keeping a tiger as a pet, you really should let it go in the jungle because one day it's going to eat you. And if if we don't come to that point, then, then we really can't make very much advancement at all. I mean, according to Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, Anarchanavritti really starts in the middle of Bhajana Kriya. There's not really any Anarchanavritti going on at Adushrata or Sadhusanga. You know, Anarchanavritti doesn't really seriously start. I mean, it can at a very low level, perhaps. Somebody may give up eating meat, for example, or something like that. But, but really, serious Anarchanavritti doesn't start until one takes up serious Bhajana Kriya. And the, what are the main anarchas that are being removed is the false ego, lust, anger, envy, greed, and illusion. So it's a fact that if you take somebody who hasn't yet committed to Bhajana Kriya and you try to dismant- help them dismantle their false ego, then it, it doesn't work very well. People will just rebel and they'll leave. It'll be too heavy for them. It's hard to even tell them that they're going to have to dismantle their false ego. You have to tell them very carefully. Otherwise, they'll, they'll get scared and they'll go away. Because people think their false ego is their self, is their identity. They're afraid that they'll lose their self. Now, of course, even later on, you can still use your, um, you know, your designations in Krishna service in so many ways. But that's a little different. You're not using them from the position of false ego. Do you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, your various upadis, I'm a, I'm a this nationality, or I'm a this gender, or I have this education, or especially if you're dealing with the general public that's in that realm. And you can certainly present things like that. Well, I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I have this, and I have that. And like we have one devotee recently who made a musical, a beautiful musical CD of, of Bhajan's and he's also a Grammy Award winner in music. So he can use that to get people to buy his CD. 
this is a CD made by this famous musician who has won a Grammy in music. I mean, that's just a new body. A person may think, yes, I'm such a great musician. But if he's not thinking, yes, I'm such a great musician, if he's thinking, hey, Krishna gave me this thing that I can use. So even a, a devotee who doesn't identify with that can use that. But yeah, that's a very good point. Anything else? Yes? When we are speaking of the surrendering, with what something which we should aspire for, uh, what does it mean practically in giving up material things? You said that you gave lectures two days ago and there's a didn't have opportunity to... Well, then we were talking about, they're specifically about giving money. What does it mean practically that you use everything to please Krishna? That's what it means practically. So at least it's real Yeah. That means to maintain our family, that means to... Generally. Not always. Like you have Shibi, who I'm sure had a family, and he was ready to give up his life. So there may be sometimes, even if you have responsibilities, where you say, okay, I'm going to give up everything. Literally, in, in an external sense. But generally, no. We were giving the example the other day of Vasudev Dutt, where he was giving away all of his income in charity, and Lord Chaitanya said, told Shivananda saying, you have to manage Vasudev Dutt's income money because he doesn't know how to, he's not maintaining his family. He's just giving everything away. So, generally speaking, it, you know, you have to see what your service is. If you're a married person, your service is to maintain your family members, not because they are your family members for your enjoyment, but because that's the service that Krishna's given you. Just like we were discussing yesterday, Bhakti Vinodakur sees his family as Krishna's service. If my family members are your servants and my, my house is your house. Otherwise, it's, it's just if you had the temple president said, well, I'm not going to maintain this temple because I have to think about money and it's all material. So if you can really see your home as Krishna's temple and you can see that you know, you're the temple president and the residence of the, of the home or the ashram residence, then that's the proper mentality. But in a temple, is all the money used just to maintain the ashram residence? The income that's collected and donated. Is that all used just to maintain the ashram residence? It's also used for the worship of the deity. And what else is the money used for? For preaching, for helping others. Just like Prabhupada said that of the money collected, half could go to temple maintenance and half could go to the BBT. Right? So what? there's no difference between that and a house owner who's told to use half of your, of your wealth for, for direct service. That doesn't necessarily mean that you take half of your wealth in the, in the form of cash and give it to somebody else. It's not necessarily what it means. But you use half your wealth for service. So if you have your own deities at home, that can also mean worshipping them. It can also mean printing your own books. It can also mean having programs in your house. I mean, there's so many ways that that can mean. But you, you see that the, my home is, is Krishna's temple. It's not my home. My family members are not my family members. They are the responsibility given to Krishna, to, by Krishna to me, as my service. And whatever opulences I have, I can use, you know, you can use a bar of soap to wash your body, you know. I mean, it's not like you can't have any cloth. It's not like you can only use the cloth to decorate the deities and you have to go around naked. You know, you can use some things for directly, but if you're also Krishna's servant, why, why can't... You know, the, the, uh, many companies also give their employees a uniform. Yes? Why, why can't you have? But not excessive. You don't need 1,000 pairs of shoes. I mean, frankly, most of us have more than we absolutely need, yes? Yes. I mean, it, it's interesting as a traveler, and even I have more than I absolutely need, but it's interesting that as a traveler, I have just three sets of clothes that I travel with. Which means that I have to do laundry very frequently, and then as soon as the clothes are dry, I have to use them. And it's interesting, I was hanging up clothes on the veranda upstairs, and I noticed that there was a whole rack of clothes that were hung up. They were hung up yesterday, and they're still there today, even though they're completely dry. Where I couldn't do that. And I thought, oh, this person obviously has more clothes than they need. They can wash their clothes and let them dry and they don't have to get them right away. 
because they have so many sets of clothes. So most of us have more than what we absolutely need. Most of us are not living as, you know, some sort of avaduta. Even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he traveled in South India, had four sets of clothes. So we may not have, you know, when Prabhupada says the bare minimum, it doesn't mean that we have to have only one set of clothes, one pair of shoes. But obviously we shouldn't be extravagant. I mean, sometimes though, sometimes there are devotees who are very rich and they continue to keep a very opulent household also for, for service. They can then invite dignitaries and other rich people to come. So you, you don't think you can make a formula and say, okay, everybody has to follow exactly the same formula of what you're allowed to take for yourself as a servant and what you have to use that's not directly for yourself. You follow? That's right. It's quite different. Different people in different situations are going to need something different. Is that clear? Yeah. Some of the stuff that I use now is more opulent than when I was a grahasta. Like I have to have a much better computer. Because I'm traveling all the time, it's easier for it to get broken. I have to have something that has an international warranty. I didn't need that when I was a grahasta. What did I need a computer with an international warranty for? You follow? Or I remember when the first time I came to Croatia and the airline broke my suitcase. So the devotee who picked me up, I said, the first thing I have to do is buy a new suitcase. So she goes to some store in the first suitcase. She sees, okay, let's just buy that. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I have to buy something that's high quality because I'm on a plane every few days. So somebody that travels, you know, I said, how often do you travel? She said, I travel twice a year. I said, how do you travel? She said, by car or by train. I said, it's not the same thing. So sometimes somebody who's a renunciate may need something that's more fancy than somebody who's a a grahasta. So that depends what you're, to to put that, you follow? So you have to look at each person's individual. What, What do you specifically need? And those needs are going to change. Yes? Depending on your, and they're going to change over the course of your life. What what do you need? But whatever we, even what we have for ourselves, it should be because we're a servant. So if you're a servant in the presidential palace, then you know you may have to have six changes of uniforms a day. Right? The servants in the presidential palace, they wear white gloves and they're they're serving the meals with white gloves. You ever seen that? So if you're serving the meals and you're wearing white gloves, what's going to happen to your gloves? So how many pairs of gloves are you going to need? You know, maybe you're going to go through 20 pairs of gloves a day. But why are you wearing 20 pairs of gloves? Because that's your service. You're a servant. And the president wants the servants to look, you know, first class. Is that, is that clear? Yeah. Okay, anything else? And then if Krishna comes and says, throw away all the gloves, you do that? If Krishna says, okay, it's time, finish. Like with Maharaj Burkitt, he was running the kingdom as a service, and then Krishna came in the form of the Brahmin's curse and said, okay, now time to give it up. And then, because it was never yours, what's the problem with giving it up, yes? But it was never yours, you never used it for your sense gratification. What does it matter? Irrelevant. Okay, here's your 20 sets of gloves to use in service. Okay, now we're changing your job. Now you can give them away. Okay, give them away. While it's yours, you take care of it. While it's part of your service, you take the first class care of it. And when it's not part of your service anymore, you let it go as if it was nothing. So many devotees in the Bhagavatam, they walk away from their kingdom, from their opulence, everything. Just, okay, time to go. Prabhupada said, like you close the shop at night. It's five o'clock, closing time, and you close. You ever been to a shop right when they close and they won't open the door for you? Have you ever been had that experience? You go to a shop and they say, we're closed, and you said, but, 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 but it's just five o'clock, sorry, you're closed. Yes? Yeah. Sure, but I can't remember. You can't remember. I had that experience once with a bank. I was... 
pretty far along pregnant with my youngest child, and my middle child was about two. And we only had one car, so my husband had the car at work, and I needed to go to the bank. So I was walking to the bank, you know, pushing a stroller, and I got there. I'm sure I got there two minutes before closing. I'm completely sure that I had two minutes. But they had already locked the door. And I was standing there, pregnant with the baby. Can I please come in? Nope. We're closed. So at a certain time, we're closed. It doesn't matter. There's a pregnant lady with a baby outside your door. It doesn't matter. You're closed. You're finished. So therefore, like Prabhupada says, certain time you have to give up the grahasta. Certain point you have to prepare for death. Finish. Done. And then it was never yours anyway. It's just Krishna's changing your service. You follow? Then, there's, then you're free. Then there's no pain. Whatever Krishna gives, whatever Krishna takes away, it doesn't matter. Is that right? Okay. Thank you very much for your hospitality here.